morning. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in that. If someone were to write your biography, what would you want them to say? Uh, I, I often think of that when it comes time to, for a funeral service. Traditionally, we have somebody gives a eulogy. And, and uh, I, over the years, I've had just a, a few people that have written out their eulogy in advance. Uh, they wanted certain things said about themselves, and so they... They wrote it out and, and gave it to me so that I, I could read it. Uh, I appreciate that. It, at least they're thinking about their life and, and so forth there. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have a spiritual biography written, I believe, by God himself. He's revealing something about us, something about our past and our present and our future here. What does he have to say about us? And then when we think about that, what should be our response to, to what he has to say here? So he looks, first of all, at our past. Now, it's, it's good that the Lord does this instead of us because, you know, we tend to sugarcoat the past, don't we? You ever talk about the good old days? Wish you could get back to the good old days? I, I remember visiting with an Indian man up in Nordic, Alberta, just on the edge of the Banff Jasper Park there, beautiful area. They were squatting on government land. They said this had been their traditional homeland, so they, they had moved in, set up their homes there, uh, living in ten houses, actually. They, they built a complete structure for a house, and then they put a tarp over it for the roof. That way it's a temporary structure, so the government couldn't make them tear it down there. But uh, as we tried to share Christ with Wright Russell, he wanted nothing to do with it. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, the reason we're out here is we want to get back to the good old days, to the time before the white man came. And uh, so we visited with him about that for a little while. And as I looked around, there was his brand new pickup truck with a rifle in the window. And I said, you know, Russell, I said, uh, your forefathers didn't have a rifle. Would you like me to take that off your hands so you can get back to the good old days? Uh, he didn't quite, quite like that idea. And I said, oh, and by the way, they didn't have a pickup, four-wheel drive pickup truck either. I said, if you want to sign that over to us, we'll, we'll take that off of your hands and you'll get back to your horses. 
and, and it suddenly he began to think maybe the good old days weren't quite as good as he thought they were. It's a little bit like we have selective memories. It's a little bit like selective hearing. I'm getting to the age where I can claim selective hearing. I, I can hear the things I want to hear. If somebody asks me to do something and I don't want to do it, I, I didn't quite hear that. <laughs> it, 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 it's great. But uh, when, when God writes the biography, he doesn't miss things. He's not sugarcoating the good old days. He's telling it like it was. And the first thing he says about us before we came to Christ, he said, we were dead. We were dead, in verse 1, in our trespasses and sins. Now, how can that be? Why does he start there? Well, the fact of the matter is, we were spiritually dead. We were alienated from God, separated from him because of sin in our lives. He uses two words here. Uh, the first one is trespass, which literally means sins of commission. Things that we know are wrong, and yet we deliberately do that. We uh, break some of his commands or some of his moral principles. It may be something we do in word. It may be a, a, a deed that we do. But we, we, the fact is, Romans 3 says in verse 20, they all have what? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word that he uses here in verse 1 for sin or sins literally means sins of omission. It's failing to measure up to the standards of God. James chapter 4 says, if we know to do good and we don't do it, it's sin. And so it may not be an actual act that we are involved in, but it's still sin if we know God is speaking to us and we refuse to listen. It all started back in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve chose to sin, chose to disobey God, the result there was God had told them, in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. And they did. That day they were separated, alienated from God. They lived several hundred years longer, but uh, they eventually did die. They did pass away. You read the genealogies in the book of Genesis. And over and over again, it says, so-and-so lived so many years, had had a son, lived so many more years, and he died. Let's repeat it over and over for our benefit, because we are under the sentence of death because of sin in our lives. Spiritual death came immediately. Physical death came later. And uh, as we look at our own lives, we can blame Adam and Eve for that. In, in a sense, in Adam, uh, we, we've received that sin nature because of Adam. But the fact of the matter is, it says we all are not only sinners by nature, but sinners by practice. We all have chosen at different times to sin. And so we were separated from God. Second thing he reveals about our past is that we were dominated or enslaved now. The reason I say dominated is because, again, it starts with a, with a D here and easier to, for you to remember if they all start with the same letter. We were dominated or enslaved by sin and by Satan. In, in Romans chapter 6, in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you were slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? We uh, sold ourselves, in a sense, into sin, 
Uh, we walked in it. That was our way of life. And notice we were in bondage here to three areas. The first is the world. Uh, he, he speaks of the fact that we walked according to the course of this world or the world system now. First uh, John sums that up in chapter 2 where it speaks of the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's all part of the world system. And have you ever noticed how many of our values, how many of our priorities, how many of our decisions, if we're not careful, are shaped by the world in which we live, by what everyone else is doing and and what's taking place around us? Often they have a way of shaping our behavior if we're not careful. Second area of bondage is Satan himself, the devil here. Uh, He speaks of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's working in the children of disobedience. He's the one behind the scenes. Back in the book of Genesis, it was the serpent that came and tempted Eve, but that serpent was a representation uh, of Satan himself there. And we'll see more of his work as we get to chapter 6. But what gives him the right to work in our hearts and lives? It's disobedience. It's as we choose to disobey God, he has the right to intervene in our lives. As a matter of fact, in, uh, we get to chapter 4 there. Uh, in, in verse 27, he says, let, let, do not give the devil an opportunity. He's speaking to the child of God there. It comes in the context of being angry and sin not, of, of dealing with those interpersonal problems before Satan gets a hold and, and blows them out of proportion there. Uh, he, he will work in our hearts and lives if we entertain sin in our lives. I'm not suggesting when I say that, that we can say the devil made me do it. That's not the philosophy that we should adopt today. If we sin, we can't blame society. We, we can't blame our parents. We can't blame the devil. If we choose to sin, it's our choice. Uh, and we need to be careful not to yield to sin and give the up the devil an opportunity to work in our life. And then there's the area of the flesh as well. He said, we lived according to the lust of the flesh in in verse 3 there. We used to let, whether we realized it or not, we used to let lust rule our lives and our hearts. Our lusts, our passions, uh, desires that were contrary to God used to rule in in our hearts and our lives. In James chapter 1, In verse 13, he says these words, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. It it is that lust of the flesh that's contrary to to what God would have us to do that leads to death physically or spiritually in our life. The, the problem is not the passion itself. The problem is how do, how do we handle it? What, what do we do with it? Uh, it, it uh, we, we, we can have a, a desire for the things of this world, and if, if we work hard to achieve some of those things, that's good. We're, we're encouraged to work. But if we try to satisfy the desire for things by going out and stealing, then it leads to more and more problems in our life. Same thing is true in the area of anger. You know, uh, 
we, we, we say, you know, I, I, I would never commit murder. But Jesus said, if you're angry in your heart, you've, you've committed murder already there. Just a short step between the two, between anger and, and murder there. And I'm not suggesting that if you're angry, go out and murder somebody. Uh, it's much easier to deal with anger than it is the, the, the consequences of, of, of murdering someone there. But uh, again, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if we entertain lust in our heart, <laughs> we're going to be spiritually enslaved, dominated by the powers of darkness. Third thing he says as he looks at our past here is we are or we were doomed. We were children of wrath. We were under the sentence of death. In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is what? It's death. But praise the Lord for the gift of eternal life there. We, we see that process worked out. We looked in a few months ago. Well, actually, I shouldn't say a few months ago. It took us over a year to get through the book of Romans. So uh, look at chapter 1 there. You begin in verse 18. He reveals the wrath of God there. Uh, and, and as men <laughs> reject God, in, in verse 21 there, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. It was a downward spiral. Things just got worse and worse in, and until it, it literally destroyed their lives and, and their society. So that's a picture, not a not a... Very good picture, probably not a picture we would write of our past, but that's what God says we were like before we came to Christ. But notice he doesn't stop there. Notice verse 4 starts with that little word, but. Aren't you thankful for the buts in the Bible? How many times he he, he reveals the problem, and, but he said that's not the end of the story. He, he wants us to take a look at our present. What If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, how does God see us today? What, what changes has he brought into our hearts and, and into our lives? And just as there were three things at work in us before we came to Christ, there's also three things we need to consider as far as our present life is concerned. Because the fact of the matter is, God is at work in each of us if we've accepted him as our Lord and, and Savior. And Praise the, I, I like verse 4 there. He says, God being what? Rich in mercy. What, what a tremendous phrase that is. He, he, he has showered us with his mercy, with his love, and, and, and with his grace today. Uh, and so what we were by nature in verses 1 through 3 has been changed because of the grace of God. Because God is at work, his grace is at work in our lives. So the first thing he says about us, once we accept Christ as Savior, is we are, in verse 4, we are loved. First uh, John chapter 4 speaks of the fact, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave himself as a propitiation for our sin there. He took the first step. In John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Uh, we are no longer doomed. We are loved of God. We have been set free from that, that judgment there. We can praise the Lord for the fact that he loves us today. 
And as you look at your life and, and maybe at some of the circumstances, events that touch your life, you wonder, how can people not love, uh, show love like we, we would like them to show? The fact of the matter is, no matter what anybody else does, God loves you. And God has showered his love upon you. You are a recipient of his love today. It's a result of the great mercy that he has had for us. We are loved today. We're also, in verse 5, we are risen. We're no longer dead. We're, we're risen. We have been given new life. Remember in, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, Unless a man be what? Born again. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We have been born again if we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior. We have been given new life. At Colossians chapter 3, he encourages us. He said, If you've been raised up with Christ... Seek the things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. We are risen with Jesus Christ. No longer blinded. No longer do we need to be enslaved under the the domination of Satan. We have been set free from all of that. We can become all that God desires us to be. We have been set free to experience new life and the fullness of that life today. We have been set free, in a very real sense, to experience the blessing of God in in its fullness in our hearts and lives today. And then he says we are seated in verse 6. We're raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places. And again, we saw that with Christ back in chapter 1, verse 20. He's seated in the heavenly places there, uh, raised up from the dead, seated uh, with him in, in heavenly places there. The term seated means to occupy a position. Uh, I realize I'm sitting here today on this platform. I'm hoping next week I won't have to sit on this chair anymore. I'll be able to stand again. Uh, uh, incidentally, I, I didn't mention that, but I am pain-free. We've gotten the results there that that we were looking for, and it may only last for a couple months, but I'm going to enjoy it a couple months, and uh, then if we have to have the operation, we'll go ahead and have the operation. But but I'm sitting here. I'm not up in heaven sitting beside Christ. How, How can he say that we're seated with him in heavenly places? Well, the term literally means to occupy a position. Uh, we occupy that position whether we're up there or not. For instance, the President of the United States is President of the United States not just when he's sitting at his desk in the Oval Office. He may be on Air Force One flying around the world. He, he may be at a party somewhere. No matter where he is, he is still the President of the United States. And he can never, at least for four years, he can never get away from that fact. Uh, uh, everything he does is being scrutinized. Uh, uh, why? Because he is occupying that position. We're not home in glory yet, but we're seated with Christ. We have uh, been granted the authority that he has to, to do his work in this world. We are seated with him, in a sense, on the throne. And we can rejoice in the fact that we have been changed We have been transformed. He is at work in our hearts and lives. And that leads us to why. What is our future? Why has he raised us up? Why why are we seated with him in glory? 
Well, this isn't the end of the story. I, I, I love verse 7 there. You, you ever marvel over that? Uh, verse 7 says, in order that in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches or the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How many of you marvel today at the grace of God? How many of you are thankful that God in his grace found a way to reach your heart and change you into a part of his family there? You've been saved by grace. Uh, Gary likes to take us back to the grace of God in his opening. Uh, I, I think, I have never talked to Gary about this, but I think he's been changed by grace to, to, a, to a degree there. And yet, you know what he's saying in verse 7? We've just begun. We haven't even scratched the surface here. He said, in the ages to come, throughout all of eternity, I think we're going to be plumbing the 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 riches, the depth of his grace. There's going to be more and more for us to understand and comprehend. We have been blessed today, tremendously blessed, but we're just getting started. We, we have so much more to, to look forward to. We're, we're just beginning to realize it. I, I, I like the song that uh, George Beverly Shea used to sing, uh, The Love of God. It, it, he learned it when he was a, a boy of five years old, when it, when it first came out. His, uh, they had two evangelists come to his church and they came and asked his mother if, if she would play this new song for them. Uh, and he sat there and he was just amazed as he heard the, the, the song and, and the, uh, the message that it had there. And he, for years, sang that song, The Love of God. But, but in the middle of it, he, likes to, he used to like to stop and, and speak about standing on the shore of the ocean and looking out and I, told you can see approximately 20 to 30 miles if you're standing on the shore. Uh, you, you can see that much, and then the curvature of the earth, you can't see the rest of it. But, but he used to say, out there, there's more, much more. And that's the way it is with the love of God, with, with, with the grace of God. We, we, we see just a, a glimpse of it today. Out there, there is more. Much more. We have so much to look forward to as we walk with God. We get a glimpse of that in Scripture. You, you ever read Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and new earth there, and, and the glories of heaven? And do you ever try to picture that in your mind? I, I don't have a vivid imagination, so it, it, it's hard for me to read that and, and kind of grasp what, what he's really saying there. But uh, I, I think of what Paul said in I fit better into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 than I do into Revelation 21 when it comes to imagining things. He said in verse 9 there, I have not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for those who love him. We, we, we just get a, a dim glimpse of them in Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul got a glimpse of them, and, and God said, you know what, Paul? You can't reveal what you saw. Uh, uh, John revealed a little bit to us in, in the book of Revelation, but Paul wasn't permitted to, to speak of those things. Uh, I, I don't know if it was because he just couldn't find the words. Uh, I, I think of uh, missionary friends that we had that worked for years amongst the Yali Indian people in Papa, uh, a, a tribe that had come out of the Stone Age. And I, I always imagined what it would be like to bring one of those men or women to the states, and then say, go back and describe what you saw there. They, they, they couldn't begin to do it. Uh, 
I, I, I remember we lived out in an Indian village, and there was a murder trial. Some of the, the men had witnessed the, the murder, and they, they were taken into Williams Lake, put up in one of the fanciest motels there. And uh, this is coming from an Indian village where there's no electricity, no running water, and so forth. And here they have all the modern conveniences, and they didn't know how to live in that room. They didn't know what to do. And I think the same thing is true of heaven. We, we, we get our, some things fixed in our mind, but we're in for some tremendous surprises. It's going to be far better than anything we can think or imagine today. It's made such an impression on the Apostle Paul that in chapter 1 of Philippians, he said, uh, that his desire was, whether it was by life or by death, it didn't matter to Paul. He said that as long as God was glorified. And he goes on to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says a few verses later, you know, he, he said, if I had my choice, I'd die. I'd go home to be with Christ in glory because he, what he saw was so much better than what he had here on this earth. But he said, if God wants me to remain and he still has a work for me to do, I'm willing to remain. But if give me my choice, and, and, and I would go home to be with him in glory. Aren't you glad God doesn't give us that choice? That uh, yeah, we're, we're here until he says it's time to come home. And uh, not having experienced what Paul did, maybe it's easier for us to, to stay here. But um, I, I often wonder, I, I think of the, I'll mention in just a minute the story of Lazarus, how God called him back from, from the grave. I wonder if he was really thankful about that, or, or, or did he wish that he had been left there in, in glory? Uh, he had so much, it's so, so much better beyond the grave, but uh, God still had a work for him to do in, in this life. What he is saying as, as he looks at our future here, I believe, is we are a work in progress. The story is still being written. It's a little bit like the book of Acts. I, I just finished the book of Acts in my morning devotions. And, and you know, the, the one thing when you come to the end of the book of Acts that you have to wrestle with is there's no closing to that book. There's no benediction. It, it just suddenly stops the story. And uh, you wonder what's next, what's happening next. Well, I think the fact of the matter is the book of Acts is still being written. The story goes on. God's still at work in, in you. In, he was in Paul. He is in us. He's working through us. I think we're going to have to wait to heaven to get the full book of Acts uh, uh, and, and see all that God has been doing here. Uh, and, and the same thing is true here. We've been saved by grace in verse 8 and 9. It's, it's through grace, grace through faith that we have been brought into the family of God. It's, it's God's gift to us. It's not a result of works. But then notice what he says in verse 9. We've been saved. We've received the, the gift of grace. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Not saved just to sit back and take it easy. God is continuing a work in our heart and life, and God is continuing to work through us today. So the story of our life is still being written there. We accepted Christ, Acts 16.31 says, uh, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Second uh, Corinthians 6 reveals that this is the day of salvation. We have the opportunity today to come to Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior there. Uh, I'm reminded of the heckler uh, uh, 
an evangelist that did street evangelism was preaching on the street. And, and there was a, a man that was making a, a mockery of what he was saying and so forth. And, and the man cried out, what must I do to be saved? Uh, make, making ridicule of what he was saying. And suddenly the evangelist stopped and he looked at him. He said, I'm sorry, sir. You're too late. And suddenly it wasn't funny anymore. And he said, what, what, what do you mean it's too late? He said, it's too late. There's nothing you can do. Jesus Christ did it all on the cross. The work was finished there. And that man came to Jesus Christ eventually that day. But notice we've been set free in verse 10 to serve him, not to earn our salvation. He said in verse 9, we can't do that. We can't begin to earn our salvation. It's been paid for by Jesus Christ. It's his blood that makes it possible for us. But as someone has said, we don't work to be saved. But if we're saved, we will work. We will be used of God one way or another. I, I mentioned Lazarus for a few minutes ago. Uh, you recall the story comes out of John chapter 11. Uh, he was sick. His uh, two sisters sent for Jesus, and Jesus deliberately tarried for three days. And uh, he died. He was put in the grave. By the time Jesus gets there, uh, there's no hope. The the, uh, Jewish tradition was that after three days, the the spirit leaves the body. So at at this point in time, they they were without hope. He wasn't going to come back again. It, It was finished. Uh, Jesus comes and he meets with them and he talks about the resurrection and then he says, show me where he's buried. And they go to the grave and uh, in that moment Jesus wept because of the sorrow and the loss that Mary and Martha were experiencing and the pain and heartache there. But then he does something rather strange. He says, roll away the stone. And uh, Martha and Mary, they're just a little bit practical. They said, wait a minute. He He's been dead three days. It's not going to smell very good if we roll away the stone. He says, roll away the stone. And then he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus comes forth. And he comes stumbling out of the grave. Do you remember the first thing that Jesus said? Take off the grave clothes. He's still wrapped like a mummy there. He's probably doing his best to hobble out of that that grave there. Uh, He says, take off the grave clothes. And I think what he's saying to us in this passage is today, sometimes we need to take off the grave clothes. We need to take off that which is hindering us from following Jesus Christ, that is keeping us from living to the glory of God. We need the grave clothes removed because we're still a work in progress. Are we cooperating with him? Uh, As I thought about this uh, and I thought of some of the things that we've gone through recently here. I couldn't help but come back, and this won't be up on your notes because it wasn't in my notes till this morning. So um, I, I couldn't help but think of what does God desire to do through us? What is it that we are to be doing? It says we are his workmanship uh, created in Christ Jesus here. What, what are we to be doing? And so often I think we get the emphasis wrong in that. We are here to demonstrate, I believe, the love of God to a world that desperately needs to see the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. 
So often, if we're not careful, we get hung up on side issues. We get to thinking, well, I, I need the gifts. Now, the gifts are good, and we certainly need to operate in the gifts that God has given to us. But if that's our focus, we're missing the point. We even go so far as to say what we really need is, is more prayer meetings. Now, there's nothing wrong with prayer meetings, and I'm all in favor of having prayer meetings. But what we really need is to show God's love to those round about us. First Corinthians 13, he says, you know, we can have the tongues of men and angels, but if we don't have love, we're just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says we can have the gift of prophecy. We can understand all these spiritual truths. We can even have faith to move mountains. But he said if we don't have love, we're nothing. He goes on to say uh, we can give all our possessions to feed the poor, deliver our body to be burned. But if we don't have love, it profits us nothing. God wants to love us. He wants us to develop that love and to show that love to one another into the world in which we live. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 13, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Now, we like to fill in the wrong things there. We think, well, we're going to show them by our gift or by our prayers or, or, or this or that. No, he says that it's by our love for one another that the world's going to know that we belong to him. That the world's going to be attracted to him is by how we love one another. First John chapter 4, in verse um, 16 there, he says, We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. And then skip down to verse 19, he says, We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so I come back to 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is what? Patient. Were you patient this week? Patient with one another? Did did, did you demonstrate the patience or did you get just a little bit frustrated when something broke down or didn't go your way? How did you demonstrate the character of Christ in that area? Love is kind. Were you kind to your brother or sister, or were you critical? Did you say some things that weren't nice about them? He says love is kind. The world isn't looking at what gifts you have, looking at how do you treat your brother or sister, and what are you doing in, in that area? Love is not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's not arrogant. You, you can read that yourselves there and, and measure your love by that. But how are we today reflecting the love of Christ to those that are watching our lives? And let me assure you, there are those that are watching your life. I am I, still amazed. I, I like to walk around the golf course, and I haven't done it as much as I should recently, but uh, that's changing now that I can walk again. But I'm constantly amazed at the people I run into up there that are watching what is happening here in the church, and especially the obvious thing is the building of the church. And uh, you know what? A lot of buildings I drive by that are going up, and I don't even care about them. But I hear a lot of comments They're watching. They're watching us. 
What are they seeing? Are, are, are they seeing as they watch our individual lives, are they seeing that we love the Savior? Are they seeing that we love one another? That's what he's called us to and called us for here. Are, are we living out our faith to the glory of Jesus Christ? It was a, a remarkable testimony was made of the first century church by a, a second century historian. It was unpopular to be a Christian in that time and day. As a matter of fact, they were often persecuted and put to death for their faith. But as this non-Christian Jewish or Roman historian was writing about this cult that had sprung up, the comment that he made was, behold how they loved one another. If somebody wrote your biography today, would it include, behold how they loved their brother and sister in Christ? Behold how they love their family. Would, would, would they pick up on the fact that we're here to reflect the, the love of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad you don't have to write your own eulogy? God's writing it for you. Can he say, behold how they loved one another? Let's pray. Father, we're challenged afresh when we realize you have so loved us that you were willing to send your very son to demonstrate that love on the cross for us. And then you call us to go forth and love one another. That's what we were created for in Christ Jesus, to demonstrate your love. Give us the courage today to honestly ask, how is our love life? How have we been demonstrating the love of Christ? And where have we been failing in demonstrating the love of Christ? And where do we need to go to our brother and sister perhaps and ask them to forgive us because we haven't loved as we should? Give us the courage to be men and women of love, reflecting the love of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs to see it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to sing, since Jesus came into my heart. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that change? Gary, you want to lead us there?